What are some techniques and strategies you think that salespeople, maybe not necessarily real estate people, can can use in their everyday business to put themselves at ease? So the first one would be to practice total and complete acceptance of any situation, any person, including yourself. Total and complete acceptance of any situation and any person, including yourself. I think that that's a, that's a super valuable thing to take on. And in, in the same form and fashion, I guess, um, the perfect game, I think that's what you called it, um, the perfect game, everything's perfect. Can yeah. you share what that is for everybody who's listening? The perfect game comes into play. So whatever's offered, you accept it. Whatever's suggested, you do it. And whatever happens, you laugh and you declare it perfect. And it turns out that if you will be in this gracious, kind, accepting, loving mode, mimicking, mirroring, and matching as you were talking about, but also asking questions and, and really being curious, and then you open yourself up to express what it is that you want, people will give you ideas and hints that seem totally outrageous. They seem completely off track. Like you, your brain goes, how's that gonna lead to this? Uh, but it's really important to know that the drunk monkey in your head should not be trusted. World-class lessons from the real estate industry's top 1%. Empowering agents to think bigger and do more to create life by design. Get access to exclusive interviews with top producing real estate professionals. Listen in as we talk about their journey in the business, best practices, and lessons learned. Hosted by Kiron Nasrallah and John Scipioni. I mean, one thing that we always say in our office is just action is better than perfection, right? This is Light It Up with Lighthouse Residential. Welcome back to another episode of the Light It Up podcast. Today's episode, we have with us an absolute legend. Matthew Ferry is a spiritual teacher and happiness expert who helps people break free of negative thought patterns so that they can have reduced stress and enjoy life. Matthew Ferry is the creator of Rapid Enlightenment Process and the best-selling author of Quiet Mind and Epic Life, books right here, Escape the Status Quo and Experience Enlightened Prosperity Now. Uh, Matthew also uh, authored Creating Sales Velocity for all the realtors who are listening to this and who have obsessed over it like I have. Um, this is going to be exciting. So thank you for coming on, Matthew. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to happy to be here. You know, creating sales velocity was such an important moment for me because it's when I uh, I sort of gelled that uh, sales was not just skill, but it was also who you were being and uh, more of a contextual or spiritual perspective, and that when people adopted that, their sales increased rapidly. Yeah, it's. Uh... That that audio, I've listened to it uh, probably a half a dozen times. And it's it, as we were coming in here, John was giving me like a heads up. He was like, listen, you can't you can't fangirl. <laughs> you can't fangirl on Matthew. You have to just, you know, ask him questions that people who are listening to it will understand. You can't be like, uh, teach me this NLP thing well, or do this. Well, the beauty of having this, this, this podcast and this platform is we get to interact with people that uh, have been mentors to us as we've grown our businesses. And, and what happens is we find out sometimes 20 minutes into the episode, we end up making it a therapy session. Of therapy. <laughs> John's therapy. We need it. 
about our own businesses or our own questions, and and we realize that yeah. uh, we need to make this uh, you know yeah. uh, more of a broad, you know, a broad-based question yeah. and answer sort of uh, platform. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into the lightning round questions. I'm honestly struggling to find a couple questions. I've got a good one to start with. All right, let's do it. Matthew, what fear have you outgrown? I would say um, it it will sound uh, exaggerated and crazy, but uh, all fear. It turns out that fear is all related to uh, the fear of death. And as my mind went quiet and I began to have this sort of progressive realization of oneness, um, fear itself began to feel um, biological, uh, inauthentic, um, you know, not real. Uh, and it, and uh, slowly I started to be able to put words to it and to, uh, to begin to transcend it. And actually, uh, that is the foundation of the rapid enlightenment process is to essentially transcend your fear so that you can behave in accordance with your intentions and, and achieve the goals that are important and valuable to you. Wow. Great answer. I almost want to skip these and dive right into my questions. Go, go on to your question. <laughs> well, you uh, can ask just one more. All right. Um, if you can have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, that's interesting. Um, I think I'd like to have dinner with uh, Oprah Winfrey. I think she's a uh, she's a really interesting character for me uh, because she has uh, she has what what I term as enlightened prosperity. Uh, she has achieved uh, uh, prosperity in you know by any person's uh, metric, uh, and yet she's striving constantly, at least in in what we know of her in the public, striving for. Um, inner peace and satisfaction and and joy, uh, you know, like all of us. I don't know how much she has it, uh, but clearly she's striving for it. Uh, I think that I think she would be an interesting character. Hmm. Uh, I would love to have had dinner with Steve Jobs. Um, his uh, one of his mentors uh, was uh, one of my father's mentors, a man named Mike Vance, and so we heard a lot about Steve Jobs from Mike back in the day. Uh, and so I think, you know, just that creative mind, the, the courageous mind, the willing to break all the status quo mind uh, would be why I would want to have uh, dinner with him. Uh, and then who else? You know, uh, the, probably the third person would be Earl Nightingale. Mm. Uh, and Earl Nightingale is also uh, dead. Uh, but Earl Nightingale is my father's mentor. And uh, apparently when I was five years old, he sat me on, on his lap and I set my very first goal. And I'd love to have a discussion with him about uh, traditional goal setting uh, versus what I now uh, coin as enlightened goal setting. And I'd, I'd love to um, you know, banter with him on the merits of setting goals that create stress versus setting goals that create peace. Hmm. The goal that you set on his lap when you were five years old, was that to get the bicycle? That was the bike. Yep, that's correct. So speaking about that, um, tell us a little bit about, um, so Matthew, one of the biggest things, and 
interestingly enough, I've never actually met you or, um, you know, you've never spoken in an audience, but your legacy of what you've taught in the Mike Ferry organization was taught down to me from other agents. So you've lived through, even though you weren't inside of the organization when I was there, um, to the point where I had Baruch music and scripts in the background and I would sleep listening to it because they were like, Matthew said it works, so we do it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and I'd record it. Um, but it's, it's, there's such an impact that you've had and it's almost like Mike was teaching everybody sales skills and you were like, this is how we do it on steroids. And this is just that millimeter change that makes the world of a difference. Um, and, you know, I think it's good to give people who are listening to this some reference. So NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. It was created by uh, Richard Bandler and uh, John Grinder. John Grinder, yeah. And that was in the 1970s. And basically they, the way that they found out how to, about this NLP is they were just studying people who either had, you know, phobias, people who had really good influence, good leaders. And they were saying, well, just because I communicate this way doesn't mean that person's going to comprehend it that way. And there's a way to communicate with everybody that can actually, uh, they can absorb all that information. How were you exposed, Matthew, to NLP and how did you go about bringing it into the MFO system? Because all the scripts have NLP all over it. Great question. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, for me, I, uh, when you are the son of, uh, of a personal development guru, um, you really have no choice. You study everything. Uh, and NLP was one of those things, you know, Tony Robbins would talk about, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, but uh, I hired my own coach. Actually, my father hired for my brother and I, uh, our own personal coach. And we, we went deep into the linguistics. What is the, what is the language that makes it easy for people to stay with you and stay in your presence and not be um, agitated and angry and upset? And it turns out that uh, there are no jerks in the world until you show up and communicate the way that you communicate and agitate them, essentially. And so uh, that was really, really powerful and very transformative for me, uh, so much so that I decided to, after about, um, oh gosh, maybe seven or eight years of really working on my own mastery with it, I decided to uh, bring it out and start teaching it to other people. And it, it was one of the most successful things that I had done uh, at that time. Uh, these days, I have actually licensed the entire process and methodology to one of my mentees, uh, who's actually my ex-brother-in-law, a man named Bill Pipes, who currently is uh, working under the banner of Agent Academy. And so he's now carrying the torch and doing my full NLP training program, which is it's pretty exciting to have that come back after all these years, yeah. uh, because I had wholly and completely moved on from from teaching those skills. And yet they're, they're some of the most valuable and empowering skills that I ever learned when it came to uh, being able to communicate in a way that had people uh, feel at ease so that they could say yes if it was appropriate to say yes. Yeah. I hope you don't mind me mentioning this, but um, on the Mike Ferry app, if you go to over the phone prospecting, there is four recordings that are 45 minutes each and you have Matthew on there. By tape two, he's mimicking accents, role-playing it with Tom, where if someone's speaking fast, you're speaking fast. If someone has an accent, you speak with an accent. Um, and the only reason why I was exposed to that is the top agent in our marketplace. I was asking him, I was like, what's your secret? He's like, role-play more, Kiro, role-play more. I'm like, it's not role-playing, man. Tell me, tell me what's the secret. He's like, listen, 
all I really do is just mirror and match. Matthew teaches all of that. Go, go, go find like some of the recordings. I'm like, okay. So I found it and it was, I was blown away because if you were to listen to it, you're like, it's, it's two Asian guys. There's no way <laughs> it's, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, but it's, it's so powerful because when you actually use it and you overcome it, like that fear of being, you know, detected, they don't notice it, but they feel so attached to you and so connected to you. Could I also say that, um, that it's the it, it is a, a back end way like you back into by by mirroring and matching people you back into one of the most important components of experiencing peace of mind and that is acceptance and that really mimicking mirroring and matching is a um, like a physical expression of accepting and honoring people exactly as they are and it turns out that one of the reasons that we experience stress and anxiety and um, upset and anger is that we resist. We resist the world. We resist ourselves. We resist other people. And so sort of without even realizing it, I mean, you can imagine that for me, I had, I had sort of always had this lean towards um, peace of mind and joy and play and and like just having fun and being creative and anything that I that I did when I was nine years old I I had these crazy experiences where uh, I felt like I was leaving my body and I and I don't I probably wasn't but that's what it felt like and the experience was um, just this incredible bliss and peace and so my whole life like when I track back I I realized wow I actually uh, that was that was really important, right? That actually guided almost everything I did. And so for me, mimicking, mirroring, and matching was a way in which I could be harmonious while I was in the sales process. And uh, and that that was so valuable, so important. It led to so many incredible insights that I that I write about in my latest book. Yeah, I love that. It's um, it's also when you go into um, parts of the training to like help people get over their limiting beliefs, you say, make 100 calls and say, you're not interested in selling your house, are you? And then just hang up. But then when you start realizing that there's small tweaks that you can make, but you just have to believe that you can actually go through it, it makes the world of a difference. Um, and in, in the same form and fashion, I guess, um, the perfect game, I think that's what you called it, um, the perfect game, everything's perfect. Can yeah. you share what that is for everybody who's listening? Because I've been playing no it problem. for as long as John knows me, um, and he hates me for it. Because whenever we go out to a restaurant to order, I'm like, "Whatever you recommend." <laughs> yep, and, and that's um, that's symbolic, right? You're you're practicing a form of surrender and gratitude for what is, uh, and it and so, you know, by way of background, I've had the privilege of coaching more than ten thousand people over the last thirty years. Damn, that's crazy. Uh, sometimes in, in groups of four or five, uh, a lot of times it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but one of the things that I found was that um, people were angry and resistant, hoping that if they made sales, they would be happy and delighted. Then they would, one, be angry and resistance, resistant, so making sales was much harder 
which made them more angry and more resistant. Uh, then if they did, if they were like strong enough and forceful enough and angry enough and, and could push enough and could destroy themselves enough, then they, they did make sales. Then they made the sales only to discover now they've made all the sales and they're still angry and resistant. Brutal. So I began to invent little processes, little games that they could play to assist uh, assist themselves and me. I was like, I, I was always the test case dummy. Uh, but the the perfect game was really one of those things. And, and really, it's very simple. It's like you are clear about what you want. So you go through a goal setting process and you get clear about what your goals are. Then when you're out in the world, you are connecting deeply with people. You're mimicking, mirroring and matching. You're seeing if you can make a difference, if you can um, be supportive of other people. Essentially, you're not attached to your own stuff. So you like put your own stuff back here and you're mimicking, mirroring, matching. You're, you're being in a state of acceptance and appreciation of them and what their goals and dreams are and what they want. Well, inevitably, what happens is people start to ask you about what you want uh, then, and, and you have to be ready. And so you start telling people about what your goals and dreams are. And uh, naturally, people want to contribute. And that's where the perfect game comes into play. So whatever's offered, you accept it. Whatever's suggested, you do it. And whatever happens, you laugh and you declare it perfect. And it turns out that if you will be in this gracious, kind, accepting, loving mode, mimicking, mirroring, and matching, as you were talking about, but also asking questions and, and really being curious. And then you open yourself up to express what it is that you want. People will give you ideas and hints that seem totally outrageous. They seem completely off track. Like you, your brain goes, how's that going to lead to this? Yeah. Uh, but it's really important to know that the drunk monkey in your head should not be trusted. All that talking in your head is really just a survival system. That's it. So you don't rely on it for inspiration. You rely on it for, um, you know, if you're in trouble, how do you get out of it? But the drunk monkey's talking constantly, so that's, that's a little troublesome. If you will just accept what is offered and do what is suggested, when you are in rapport with someone and you've been supportive to them and now they want to be supportive to you, it'll blow your mind the fast track that that puts you on. Yeah. Did you get that, John? Yeah. So how do you, <laughs> how do you get in uh, rapport with them without? So are you saying it's in the early stages of a conversation? Like I'm thinking, you know, if you're sitting across the table f from somebody in a in a sales situation, right? We both are obviously in the real estate business. If you're sitting across from a seller. Uh, how do you, uh, you know, get in rapport with them? How do you mirror or match, or match them without, you know, uh, giving up the terms or, or listing it at a price that's not uh, favorable or a commission that's not favorable? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I think I'm going to I'm see if I can um, put what you're saying into a different context. Well, I think what I hear you say is if I if I get into this rapport-based state where I'm in acceptance and appreciation of who they are, um, will I become weak and compromise my own values? 
And the answer is yes, if you are weak and you tend to compromise your own values, it doesn't matter what we do. We have to actually make a commitment. You have to decide that I am going to stand up for myself and I'm going to stand up for this seller. I am going to make sure that this seller gets the result that they want, which means I'm going to say a bunch of things they don't want to hear. And then I'm going to be, I am going to be willing to receive their negativity without making them wrong, without resisting, without getting hostile, without reacting. I'm going to understand. Of course they're upset. They just missed the market by six months and it's sliding fast. They're upset. They're living in the past. They're upset. That's okay. Yeah. And then I'm going to make suggestions that they list their home at a price that will cause it to sell and that they offer a commission that will incentivize the other agents to sell their home over the other houses that are, that are coming on the market. And so I'm going to give them a choice, but I'm also going to be detached. Remember that attachment is an exaggerated fear of losing an imaginary benefit. Mm. And when we are living in those imaginary benefits, we tend to be more aggressive and uh, potentially resistant, sometimes even angry or hostile. Uh, and those are guaranteed ways to lose a listing. Can you repeat that one more time? Because that's so golden. Attachment is? It's an exaggerated fear of losing an imaginary benefit. So we imagine some benefit in the future, let's call it um, the, eight, the taking the listing at a price that'll cause it to sell at a commission that is uh, worthy of our time. And so there's an attachment, we have this vision like, I want that, but we don't, we don't even just say, I want the sale at a good commission. We actually have an attachment to what that means, like what is that future? In essence, so often, We've already spent the money. We haven't even got the listing. We've spent it in our head. Right. Then that creates an illusion that we're living inside of. The drunk monkey in our head goes like, I want that. Don't take that away from me. So now if you're on the presentation and you have the tiniest little bit of insecurity pop up, here comes the drunk monkey into attack mode. <laughs> Which then, of course, pushes the client away even farther. Yeah. And one of the things that you teach is that you have to pace, pace and lead, lead with excitement and enthusiasm. And you can't lead when you're nervous because then you sound weird, right? Like, yes. <laughs> um, and you can't do it as an authority figure that someone's looking up to. Um, wow. That was your response was a lot deeper than I was thinking uh, to, uh, to John's question. So, well, when we got on the, when we got on the, uh, on the line, you know, you, you had said, Matthew, I want to introduce you as, you know, mindset teacher, blah, blah, blah. And I was saying, you know, that mindset was a really important part of, of my evolution, just like NLP was a very important part of my evolution. And, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And then it turns out that um, mindset and mindset techniques don't quite have the wherewithal to go through the really dark hard periods of our lives um, when everything's falling apart. It's very, very difficult. It takes tremendous energy to maintain your mindset. And that was annoying to me. And as I continued my own research, I started to have the realization that a, a spiritual awakening, which is not a religious thing, it's actually 
It's actually awakening to a new context that the result of which has you release your fear and come to a place of peace and flow. So the spiritual awakening created this new context. The, the context enables you to be in complete disaster, have everything falling apart. And then you get to be at peace in that process, which is strange at first, but delicious nonetheless. <laughs> and when you are at peace in the middle of a disaster, your creativity your resourcefulness, your personal power, your energy and enthusiasm soar, and there's no work necessary. Yeah. Mindset, you have to work. You basically are trying to train the drunk monkey to be something that it isn't. The drunk monkey doesn't give a rip about you, doesn't care about happiness and peace, doesn't care about productivity. The drunk monkey cares about survival. So it's just going to be constantly whispering in your ear, you're a loser, you're stupid, you need to do more. What's wrong with you? You're a fraud. Everybody's going to figure this out, right? Like, and those, by the way, the drunk, as far as the drunk monkey is concerned, like that's a motivational seminar right there. But when you pop into a new state where you begin to connect with the idea that all is well, that's what I talk about in my, in my book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. When you start to pop into the idea that all is well, even when everything is falling apart, well, then your personal power and your resourcefulness go up exponentially you know the the thought in my mind you know it's um because i obsessed over the nlp stuff for so long I, I even use it in my dating life you know personal life professional life and it was just like a way of everything that i used to do what you just said i pictured myself in a car and it's like nlp is like nice rims the cool body kit but then you know having that oneness is almost like a new engine it's like you could go anywhere with this new engine but everything else it just looks good but you're not yourself where you can handle um, the terrain that's ahead or whatever the case it is. You, you think you know who you are, but you don't really know who you are. And I guess that's the hardest thing because when you're practicing yeah. all those things, you're adapting to be a mirror instead of being your true self. So how do, you, how do you tap into that? That's such a good question to distinguish. Um, when all is well, then you're not attached to who you are and you're able to shapeshift in the environment to support the people around you in not feeling uncomfortable and not feeling agitated or scared. And that's a tremendous service to bring to the people around you, the buyers and the sellers. You know, if they can feel at ease getting the crap kicked out of them, which is what's happening now to the sellers, and the buyers are getting hammered by the interest rates, um, so if they, if they can feel at ease in that process because they're working with you, because you are at ease, um, that's a huge benefit. And that'll lead to a lot of referrals. What are some techniques and strategies you think that salespeople, maybe not necessarily real estate people, can, can use in their everyday business to put themselves at ease? Is there like a quick reset? Yeah, well, um, there's something, uh, there's a series of, of daily practices in my book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life, that I would highly recommend. Uh, and, and they essentially go through a couple of different processes. Let me just give you a few that, that people could take on. So the first one would be to practice total and complete acceptance of any situation, any person, including yourself. 
total and complete acceptance of any situation and any person, including yourself. I think that that's a, that's a super valuable thing to take on. The other thing, uh, and by the way, unbelievably difficult, right? Very, very challenging, but a worthy pursuit nonetheless. Uh, mimicking, marrying, and matching is essentially a, a, a basic version of that. The second thing that I would recommend that people take on is a, a little bit of a mantra. And um, I would say that the mantra itself uh, just, just begins to, to change the context. It's a form of recontextualization. And the mantra is this, it's always going my way, even when it's not. And the reason that we say that is that generally people who are interested in this kind of conversation are not at the bottom of the barrel. They're not, they're, not, they're not having the worst life ever. They're not born in situations that are horrendous and terrible and giving them an incredible disadvantage. Uh, they're listening to this because they're wanting to improve. They're wanting to uh, become. That's who your listener is. And, and I would say that that person tends to continue to grow and get better and better and better, sort of whether they want to or not, um, but it's the time frames that we, that we get jammed up on. So there's no bad goals. There's just bad deadlines. Yeah. So, uh, for example, um, I've had the goal to start the center for rapid enlightenment since 2017. Um, we finally got the paperwork done in 2019. We didn't do our first funding until 2021. And the truth is we didn't even have our first real meeting until a few days ago. And there were times in which I was beating myself up a little bit. And then it wasn't really me. It was the drunk monkey was trying to give me a motivational seminar, right? It's like, you got to get on this, Matthew, the world deserves it. And you're going to, you need to make a difference for people. Right. And, and all of that false urgency uh, really is just tied back to the fear of death. And so it was the utilization of, of accepting the situation as it is and recognizing there are no bad goals, there's, no, there's, there's just bad deadlines, that it's always going my way, even when it's not, that I was able to go, ah, okay, no, we're in, it's, it's all good. It's all coming together. Just relax. Yeah. There's nothing that needs to actually get done here. That's all an illusion. I think that those two things would help. The other thing that I would say uh, for most salespeople it's just, could you just please lower the bar? Will you quit holding yourself accountable to standards that don't exist in the world? Standards that the drunk monkey in your head is arbitrarily using to beat you up and make you wrong and turn you into a stupid person or uh, um, uh, you know, you're a fraud or not good enough or other people are better than me. All of those standards are lies. They're invented. They're not true. What if you lowered the bar so low that you could hit it and you could hit it over and over and over and over? For me, I did this when, when I was wanting to meditate every day. And ultimately what I found was that meditation agitated me, which is the exact opposite of what you would think. <laughs> but I would sit there in meditation and then my mind would go crazy. And so I decided to lower the bar. And I said, okay, as long as I take three long, slow, deep breaths, then it's complete. I've meditated. So for, you know, a week or two, I would take 
three long, slow, deep breaths every day, and then I would open my eyes and uh, high-five myself. Hey, I meditated. But eventually, I would like take three long, slow, deep breaths, and then at the end of the third breath, I would say, I'm complete, and then something inside of me would say, well, it's okay to take another breath. And eventually, after more than 700 days in a row of meditating, my meditations were sometimes going four hours long. And the ecstasy and the joy and the peace and the, the positive energy that I was feeling was so unbearable, so unbelievable uh, that I never wanted it to stop. But that started with lowering the bar so low it was impossible not to hit. I love what you said because there's two things here that stand out. Number one, Abraham Hicks with the mantra. It's it's almost like you took the best practices that you experienced and you're like, I'm going to make this like as my strategy. Um, because I, And it was just hitting me now. Um, through MFO, through shadowing Thatch at one point a couple of years ago, uh, even when we went to an EXP retreat, it's like everywhere we go, you leave an imprint on there, right? Um, but it's it's not something that you strive to do. It's just the effect that you have when you're in that state. Um, and it almost comes back to... Um, I remember when I was meditating, I do transcendental meditation and they tell you that, you know, even if you don't do it at the right time, even if you're drunk, you still do it. If you, uh, if you forgot to do it after eight hours from the morning, just, you know, do it right before you sleep. It doesn't need to be perfect, but the voice inside your head, the drunk monkey is just like, ah, you fucked it up. So now you gotta, now you gotta restart all over again. And then you're just, you're going hard on yourself. But then the second you're just like, you just do it at the end of it, you feel 10 times better. And you're like, that was awesome. But it's just that first step of not having a standard and just saying, this is what I committed to. And like you said, decide. So all their options are out. And you had this one really good quote um, in, and I'm sorry, I keep referencing back to the, the creating sales velocity, but that's just so good. I, lo- I love that book. Yeah. That was an instrumental book in my, in my progression. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you said when someone decides and commits. Providence moves too. That was, I was, I was actually quoting uh, someone else, actually, at the end of my book, one of my f- absolute favorite quotes, and that is that until one is committed, there is hesitance, the chance to draw back, always in effectiveness. And yet the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. Can you, can you explain what that means for the average Joe? Absolutely. Um, there's something about making a commitment, saying it out loud, that sort of registers it in the network of all the people around you. You become known for that, which starts to create sort of a, um, uh, an accountability structure that, that you, didn't, you weren't necessarily making, uh, but it just starts to happen. It's like when you guys decided to put on this show, you started to say, hey, we're thinking about putting on this show. And then you started talking about it a bunch. And then it's like all these things, just like uh, all these unexpected meetings and people you didn't know were going to help and the right people just started to show up. And it's this, this synchronicity that starts to occur. Dr. Hawkins, one of my main mentors in his book, uh, Eye of the Eye, says that, that miracles – are are essentially what occurs when your consciousness goes up. When your consciousness goes up, there are these unexpected, unexplainable good fortunes that occur. And part of what 
as your consciousness goes up, is making commitments to things that are really important to you. So you become more aligned within yourself. That's probably an over explanation, but there you go. No, it's perfectly explained. Uh, and now the biggest struggle is when you become aware of, you know, when you're committing and really what you've, what you end up telling yourself, really, you end up attracting as well. Um, what are some ways that someone can combat because it's almost like you find yourself down that rabbit hole where the drunk monkey is just like going at it, just like, oh, it's like you can't get that thought out of your mind and you know it's causing you to focus on the bad and you're getting more of the bad. What's like an exercise or a practice just to, to get that to stop right away? Well, first of all, there is a, a surprisingly positive benefit of negativity. And, and most people think that the way to positivity is to be more positive. Uh, and, the, and it turns out it's exactly the opposite. The way to be more positive is to intentionally be negative. And so when you, when you are willing to understand what is the motivation of the drunk monkey in your head. Why is it repetitiously giving you this thought that, that you know this is, a, this is a negative thought, you don't like this thought? Well, if you, try to, um, if you try to resist it with positivity, I don't know if you've ever done this or not, but like you try to do affirmations, for example, uh, and you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I am powerful and I like myself. You know, the drunk monkey literally comes swinging out of the jungle and says, yeah, and you're a moron and you're an idiot and you can like yourself all you want, but you're a fraud. Um, so, you know, when you try to fight negativity with positivity, it is a form of resistance. What you resist will persist. What you accept will transform. So you actually work to celebrate the negativity in your head. To understand it. That's what I talk about in my book, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. Through my research, I began to realize that thought itself had a motivation. And that if you could understand what the motivation of the thought was, you could actually change things at the level of the motivation. What positivity and affirmation and, and visualization and dream boards and goal setting and all of those things are trying to do is they're trying to deal with the, the plant. But what actually needs to occur is you go to the root. So you go find the negativity and you become fully and completely aligned with it. In other words, the same as mimicking, mirroring, and matching. You, you recognize and honor and appreciate that you are a greedy, scared jerk. <laughs> and that your greed is the fear of not having enough and not looking good and not fitting in. And then you go, well, why? And then you realize, oh, wow, okay, so if I don't have enough and I don't look good and I don't fit in, then I might not get a woman. And then you're like, well, why does that matter? And then you're like, well, wait a second, I'm a genetic meat puppet. My entire existence is about finding a mate so that I can reproduce my genes. And then you're like, well, wait a second, like, is that really what my intention is? It's like, I'm going to be mad that I'm not going to get as many listings that I want because I'm not going to get laid and have babies. What the hell is going on here? And you <laughs> track it back and you start to realize greed, grudge, hatred, victim, illogical rules, humble, traitor, pride, resistance, and lazy. The 10 hidden motives to survive 
are running the show. And when you can honor and appreciate and accept how valuable those things are in your survival-based existence, if you can really understand them, then you can transcend them and connect with your thriving-based existence. We could call that thriving-based existence enlightened prosperity. It's beautiful how you said that. And the thought that came to my mind is during the pandemic, uh, when be, like right around March, everything stopped. And then I was reading a bunch of Ray Dalio's books and I was freaking out. I was just like, oh, it's all gone down the shitter. We're, we're screwed. And then I was just like sitting in my apartment. I'm like, oh God, what's going to happen after this? Am I going to have to move in with my parents? Does that mean that I'm going to just like die alone? And then after that, there's nothing after that. Um, I, I remember where I was reading it, but then I just kept, I went into that thought process where I was just like, huh, what's so bad about going there? And then I'd be like, all right, well, I'd be there. But then what's be so bad about that? And then you just go into it and there was no fear. It was just like, okay. And you know, if that's a risk, it's just, I need to, I, I, I know what I need to do. And that's not really a fear. It, you just realize that there's nothing to be actually scared of. It's just a thought that just lingering that has no substance. Um, and it was easy to actually move it around. When you resist the thought, it, you're 100% right. It tends to be so much more prominent and it's almost like it takes roots. Yeah. And if you don't address it, then it starts to fester to this thing that's not really what it is, is an illusion. Um, that's so good. Yeah, you expand it, you expand it by resisting it. Yeah. You, you make it worse by resisting it. When you accept negativity exactly as it is, then you can face what you did as a, a process that I talk about in my book called facing the worst case scenario. And when you face the worst case scenario, you deactivate the drunk monkey. And because the drunk monkey's job is essentially like if there's danger, if there's something bad that's going to happen, then the mind talks. Mm -hmm. So the mind only talks if it, if something is being perceived like something negative is going to happen. Now, if you, if you take that statement in that I just said that the mind only talks when there is some perceived threat, well, then you probably need to step back and go like, holy shit, my mind is talking all the time. Yeah. Meaning, if we play it out, it's possible that I am accidentally in a threat state all the time, except... There's no actual threat occurring. So there's all these techniques that I've developed to assist you in essentially addressing the drunk monkey and deactivating its motivation to talk so that you can enter into that incredibly blissful state that I call quiet mind. Yeah. And when you are there, you can move in with your parents, take advantage of that situation, optimize it and turn it into something even better. And you can be in this place where you say, breakdown is the beginning of breakthrough. That success is a series of well-managed breakdowns. Ooh, this is a pretty good breakdown. High five. Wow, I'm in a really crappy spot. I wonder what good will come out of this. All of a sudden, it completely recontextualizes your entire reality. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times that worst case scenario really isn't that bad. It isn't. It's, it's just the illusion and you resisting it makes it even worse. It's just the self-sabotage that piles up by not facing it. Yep, absolutely. Matthew, can you, and this is one thing I wanted to ask initially because it's, uh, 
it's always been in my mind and how to, to exercise it. Um, you and Trevor used to do this thing with the visualization. And I know that through your uh, time with, uh, you know, writing uh, sales velocity and, and going, creating sales velocity and moving forward from there uh, to quiet mind, I know that you've evolved the way of you've been doing the meditation. I mean, the, the visualization. Um, I know that you guys used to do it at night or in the morning. And now it was like right after a workout, it's almost like a mixture of priming. Um, can you share how that is and how that works and how someone can actually do it the right way? You bet. Yes. Uh, I, one of the things that I noticed about my son is that um, without, any, uh, without any encouragement of mine, uh, he was fearful that he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And this was maybe five, six years old. It, uh, it, it became clear to me that, um, at least that was when the idea started, but then I, I started to do my own research on it. It became clear to me at that time that human beings are hardwired to assume that they aren't going to get what they want and that it's going to be harder than they want. And so with Trevor, I started to play a game to help him. It was, and the game was purely just to help him like break apart this idea. And we called it Trevor's Visualizing Game. I wrote about it in that book. And it's essentially, we would pick something stupid, something irrelevant, something neither of us cared about, something trivial. And then we would visualize it for a moment. And then we would be delighted. We would go out into the world and wonder when it was going to show up. And so we would visualize, let's say, a snail, right? He's five at the time. So then we would go out into the world, and all of a sudden he'd be like, Dad, look, there's a snail, right? And he was like, okay, great. We, we visualized it, and there it was. You can see it in your mind. What you see in your mind, you can create. Now, of course, life is much more complex than that. But the root idea is what I was trying to establish, and... And it's something that I think is very enriching and valuable, especially at the beginning stages of your process. Now, this is why I'm such a huge fan of Jerry and Esther Hicks and uh, their law of attraction process. I think that, that is a, that's a beginning place. That's a place in which you can start to build confidence that you are the creative force creating. And that when you visualize things, it's more like uh, in, in the law of attraction modality, um, you're, at a, you're, at a be, you're a beginner. So as a beginner, we have to pretend like you're doing stuff. And then as you become more advanced, you start to surrender to, oh, wait, I am the stuff that is being done, which is different. So I'm not the creator of my goals. I am, in essence, the goals being created. And if I can surrender to that, then I get into this flow that is unbelievably delicious. We just did a enlightened goal setting workshop actually uh, last weekend, and I took uh, you know seventy people through this process of getting aligned within themselves so that it was easier to have their goals come. Uh, but for our viewer, our listener, I actually have a full enlightened goal setting workshop on YouTube with a link to download the full workbook. So if they would like to do that as my, as my gift to them. That's awesome. Thank you so much. The, um, you know, the, the, in the book, um, Esther, uh, Hicks wrote, um, I think it was asking you shall receive. 
it's not simple. It's like when you read through it, um, I guess I, I'm being too critical of every word that was being said in there because they were saying, do not meditate for more than 20 minutes. I'm like, TM is 40 minutes a day. And I'm like, God oh, damn it, does this mean I can't do it anymore? And Abraham Hicks meditation is like 13 minutes. Uh, but when you're in alignment, it's like uh, even at th one of Thatch's workshops, and I know that you guys used to do this together, you'd hold the string with a little pendulum at the end and you just think of the numbers and it would swing and you're just attracting it to move and you're in a state of uh, alignment when you're doing that and the energy is just vibrating through you. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of work to remain there because there's, um, I, I forget how they say it, but there's the, the journeys through the, the challenges and you're the creator of the whole thing. So you just have to constantly be in alignment. And it's, it's um, I guess I, read, I need to reread that, re -read that whole book um, because that's, it's so difficult. I feel like it's- uh, I would recommend that you, uh, that you step up um, I think you're probably ready to go to the next level, and the next level is to acknowledge that that you are the creative force creating, and that the goals that you have are not yours at all, and that you are somehow organized or optimized biologically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in a way that is predisposed to these goals that are coming through you. Um, not everybody, for example, in real estate, is interested in putting on a professionally done uh, podcast like you are doing now. Like there's something about you that that has broadcaster, personality, entertainer, educator, right? Like you have that inside of you. Not everybody has that. And so um, when you set goals that are not in alignment, uh, it's very difficult and it's easy to do that. Go to a seminar. They'll tell you what goals to set. You'll feel like shit for the next year. Hmm. Um, but for you, if you go inward and you, and you meditate and for you 40 minutes and you let the goals come out and then you transcribe them and then you find your alignment with them, that is, it's more likely that you'll have an enjoyable experience of creating. It doesn't mean that the goals will get created. For goals to be created, one actually has to be structure-oriented. You have to have a very effective relationship with integrity. You need to understand about systems, processes, procedures, workflows. You've got to understand how to talk, what to say, what to do. You have to meet the right people, know the right people, put the right systems in place. You know, having goals be achieved is, a, is really the domain of, of reality, current reality. But the experience of achieving them is the domain that you're talking about, the experiential or more spiritual domain. So plenty of people achieve goals totally misaligned and feeling like crap. Yeah. They're able yeah. to push through their negative feelings. Um, but it's not likely if someone is, con is still listening right now. So I just want you to know, like we lost a ton of listeners a long time ago because what we were talking about uh, for them was not aligned with the way that they wanted to see the world. But for our listener who is, is listening right now, that person um, needs to tend the garden of their experience and how they feel. Because negative feelings for that, for that person, for our listener right now, those negative feelings are, are essentially um, little signals and indicators that they're off track and that they're focusing in the wrong direction. Mm. That's so rich. And I want to be cognizant of the time. Uh, I obviously know you're probably busy uh, with the schedule. Uh, Matthew, if somebody wanted more proximity to you, next event that you're uh, uh, 
drawing or a workshop that you're putting together? Uh, can you share anything that's that's uh, we so we tend to do a couple of workshops every year in during um, um, during COVID we you know kind of got shut down just like everybody else. I think that you know the best way to connect with me is to actually just go uh, to my website and sign up for my newsletter. Uh, then we'll just keep you apprised of whatever you've got going. Uh, we also have um, ways in which um, people can go find my book. I think finding my book is probably a really valuable first start for people, Quiet Mind, Epic Life. And, and then maybe the last thing is to consider joining us for a nine-month adventure uh, in our mastermind. And we do uh, every, every September we launch our mastermind, then we start it in October. And the objective of the mastermind is essentially to live a kick-ass life, life totally and completely at peace. So to be killing it in your life, but to be killing it uh, without the stress and angst and anxiety and pressure and urgency and all the stuff that ruins your experience. Like, why are you trying to succeed and have a crappy life in the process, hoping that once you're there, it'll get better? It won't. Wherever you go, you'll still be there. So you'll be successful and be living a stressed out, anxiety filled, crappy life. That to me seems irrational. Yeah. So we do a we do a nine month deep dive mastermind to reorient ourselves to um, essentially enlightened prosperity. Great. So well, if somebody wanted to get involved in that, they could go to your website. Please, MatthewFerry.com. Two T's and two R's. MatthewFerry.com. And also connect with me on um, Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm you know I'm actually uh, you know pretty uh, active there in terms of connecting with people. Yeah, it's uh, to be honest, I was surprised that Matthew responded when uh, when I reached out, and uh, I'm surprised that you don't have the following that you deserve. And I am happy that you're actually starting to 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 to, to expose Thank yourself you. because um, we got you early, and I'm super happy <laughs> that we did because this was extremely yeah. valuable. Well, sometimes you have to sometimes you have to retreat from the world in order to um, to get clear about what it is that you're committed to. And I would say that, um, you know, when I got divorced in 2013, uh, I went through a lot of reconsideration. And that that reconsideration period, I think, is over now. And and so now it is time to come forward with the rapid enlightenment process and do it in a way that is, you know, has diligence and integrity. So thanks for acknowledging that. Yeah, of course. Last thing I will promote is that if you're ever feeling down, Matthew has a really good, uh, it's like, uh, did you actually make the music yourself over affirmations? I know it's not Baruch music. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. No, I did. Yeah. Th there's an energy, energy to that. affirmations. Yep. There's an energy to that, that you get, you can't actually be pissed after listening to it for a few minutes. <laughs> it just, you find yourself <laughs> nodding and you're just like, this yep. is not a rap song, but it just feels good. <laughs> it's really awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, Matthew. Yeah, thank Energy Affirmations Two was uh, designed really to um, give people a a uh, alternative to all the negative music that's out there, or music that's about sex and love and whatever. And it's about being uh, about living a positive, uplifting life and using affirmation in the process. Yeah, it's super powerful and it's great. There's so much value in this, Matthew. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolute pleasure. So grateful for you coming on, and I've really, learned a lot. Really appreciate a lot your time today. Thank you, John. Thank you, Kiro. Thank awesome. you.